poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, my friend. Welcome to Tactical Tuesday. Today, me and John are coming at you with a couple of funky-ish hands played on the streets of 1K Ignition, where we bet call the river. John is the one that played the hand that he he, he wanted to break down. He was chomping at the bit to break it down. So I looked through my, my database and the limited hand sample that I've put together this year. The one thing that I learned is that when I bet call the river, it has not gone historically well for me <laughs> this year. Uh, I've lost about 400 big blinds. Uh, my BB per hundred is minus almost 2000 per hundred. So um, <laughs> not very precise. I bet calling the river, but with that said, we can always learn, grow, improve. And in the near future, Hopefully, I can increase my sample size so that this doesn't look so insane. John, welcome back to Tactical Tuesday. How's it going, Brad? It's going well. I feel like you ask me that question every week, and I always have the same answer. What are you going to do if one day I'm just like, I'm doing fuck awful, man? Oh, then we'll have something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got nothing to talk about this week as it relates yeah. to my emotions. That's so why don't we poker hands? Yeah, Let, let's just get into these. Uh, they're not boring, actually. These these are pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, they're, um, they're definitely not boring. John, why don't you break down the first hand or relay the action of the first hand to the listener? Sure. So, our regular game here on Tactical Tuesday: five, ten, no limit, six max cash on ignition. This hand starts with Brad and the big blind. The button opens to twenty dollars. Brad calls with Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Hearts, Queen Jack offsuit. Uh, Brad, do you know if the button's a reg or a fish? I can see that he's starting with a 95 big blind stack, so it's a little hard to tell. Uh, so they appear to be a reg, even though my sample size on them is not very, not very big, just because that's how ignition rolls. But they do appear to be a reg v pipping something like 29% opening like 18% pre uh no three bets yet but i mean that's a thing that can happen over 47 hands with a small sample size yep okay sounds good so button opens we defend queen jack offsuit the flop is 9 of spades 8 of clubs deuce of diamonds 9 8 deuce rainbow we start with the check and the button uh starts with a large bet that's 4275 into 45 this is actually really big but I think having a big size on these low middling boards is um, definitely not uncommon to see. I guess we can just talk about here if you have a preference uh, as to like how you would rather continue. Um, presume you're never folding two overs in a gut shot and the nut gut shot. So it's either going to be between a call or a check raise for you. Why do you presume that, John? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you're gonna just shock us with a flop fold. 
<laughs> Very exciting Tactical Tuesday hand today. I checked full of the flop. So, I mean, when it happened, I, I kind of remember the thoughts that went through my mind, and it was like uh, typically opponents struggled to raise appropriately versus these big sizes out of position here. So because it's somewhat of an underbluff spot, I am just going to go, f- go for it and check raise. I think check calling check calling is viable as well. Um, I think the problem with check raising this big size is that, you know, with all your potential straight draws that you have, if you're check raising all the combos, you're just check raising likely way too much. Um, but with that said, like I think check raising here is just fine. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed was that this uh villain on the button has a hundred percent flop C bet um stat. I don't know how many uh C betting opportunities that that is over, but still like someone with like hundred percent flop C bet, I'm definitely gonna be more willing to attack with just a wider check raise range than normal. Well Here's that's another a, question. Yeah. I was gonna say that that's important because um Villain shouldn't be using this large sizing at, at a very high frequency. Right. So like really, any information, no matter how small, can be important when Villain chooses a sizing that they're not supposed to use uh, very often. Like, if we see that they're C-betting all the time, then it's just very likely that they're overdoing it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you check-raise. Um, I guess the other thing that we should talk about after we've decided that we want to check-raise is how large... Uh, should we size our check raise? Um, this guy bet almost pot on the flop um, and has about 885 behind after his C bet. Yeah, I mean, I don't really love the sizing that I use in game. I think I probably should have gone larger. Mm-hmm. Um, I went effectively 3x. I think it might be exactly 3x villain's bet risking 126 to win 87. I think the problem with that is villains just got a lot of natural continues on this board, a lot of straight draws, just a lot of hands that are going to get sticky. I mean, even when they have like an eight or a nine, they're probably continuing. So this is folding out like some King high type hands or a side type hands, but letting them get two and a half to one needing 28% equity to continue in position, I think just is not very good on my end. Gotcha. Yeah. And this is something that uh, actually we we just talked about briefly a couple of days ago was um, like preferred check raise sizings on the flop and how um, at least for me, it looked like I was making this mistake that you made in this hand where I was just check raising way too small kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah. For the record, this, this was at least hand was played like almost six months ago. So luckily, uh, even though I haven't been playing a ton, diving into mass data analysis, doing, you know, six to eight private coaching sessions a week has made me a much stronger player. Um, and also like figuring these things out for you guys, my students, I learn, I learn when I'm studying and learning things for y'all as well. So like, there's a lot of benefits for me specifically in coaching. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that like, I should have used a larger sizing Pio most likely prefers larger sizing, but kind of is what it is. Okay. I mean, I guess like one argument that I could think of for not using a large check raise sizing is that we, I know we, we keep their weight range wider uh, on the flop, but we get more folds on the turn. That's sort of the similar logic that uh, we use when we're like C betting in position. And we're, I don't know, usually this is like when we bluff fish, but like we bet small on the flop and then large on the turn. 
and try to realize like most of our folds on the turn basically and and are not expecting to get tons of folds on the flop um and you're ba and it sounds like you're saying that uh in this situation that that's not what you prefer um i presume being out of position has a big has a lot to do with that i, I see i can't really say for sure because i don't know this villain c betting strategy but i mean if they're like if they're more polarized here then the smaller check raise is just fine right mm. because like they have natural hands that can fold but my suspicion is that they're fairly linear here which means that like <laughs> if they're linear they're not going to they're not going to fold getting uh a great price um right. and then on the turn like we're making the assumption that like i'm always betting specific turns and i, I don't know that i'm always betting uh every single turn that that pops out yeah that's a good point that's a good point okay so back to the hand uh villain bets 40 some dollars we check raise to 126 uh villain on the button calls the turn is the three of hearts so the board is now nine eight deuce three rainbow just as a reminder we have queen jack offsuit brad checks this turn that's <laughs> not what i would do uh, <laughs> i would just keep blasting which is i mean that's that's something that i thought about just like you know when you five seconds ago when you said like i'm i'm already not planning on on betting every turn um i'm sort of the opposite i guess where i, I i'm probably planning on betting almost every turn um can you talk about your decision to check here well in my own silly way i i think that like villains range is going to be comprised of you know they're going to have draws and they're going to have value and i just don't think villains going to be folding any of their value on the turn at this point like when none of the when none of the straight draws complete on the tray like villains sets uh you know if villain has like ace eight they block our sets of eights i think they're calling the turn because you know we have a bunch of straight draws in our range so like i, I just don't think we fold out really any pair and we kind of have like the nut gut shot so with queen jack high so i, I think that like we do have some sort of showdown equity here with queen high wow versus like his straight draws yeah we can we have the nut straight draw like we okay. have we have the the best straight draw that is possible yeah okay okay uh and villain's not like floating us with ace or king high right so like they never have ace or king high we can just like okay, gotcha. eliminate those straight away so it's either like straight draws or pairs hmm, gotcha okay okay oh well yeah when you when you when you put it like that that's that makes it like way more that makes checking like way more obvious to me than than it was um, okay, so we check villain on the button also checks. Yep. So <laughs> we go to the river, which is the jack of clubs. We make top pair. Uh, Brad C bets, or sorry, not C bets. Brad leads $112 into uh, about 300 so about a third pot. I don't know if, you, if we should talk about sizing here first. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really on the fence here. I was really on the fence about whether or not I should bet and the sizing that I should choose. I remember I, I thought I put a lot of thought into this. I, I used most of my time bank. Um, but like I said before, I, I think that like villain needs to be turning pairs into bluffs um, to make us fold. We block queen 10. I think villains going to call with most of their one pair type hands. Uh, so I did think, you know, Jack 10 just made top pair. So I think that like we get value there. Um, so really it was just trying to, trying to get value, but I, I did before I chose my sizing and made the decision to bet. I did have a plan if villain raises me like, which I think is very important here, especially when you choose this small sizing, because it's kind of like, 
chumming the waters. Um, you know what I mean? When, when we have like a perceived capped range and like right. v- villains got uh, vi- villain knows they have like the queen 10 and the 10, seven in their range. Yeah. So you're basically saying you got to be ready for what you might be inducing with this, <laughs> with this size. Yes. And looking through my database, um, we can see you're that my- <laughs> <laughs> I-, I have a plan and the plan has not worked out. <laughs> So great this year, but that's okay. Okay, so I guess we'll just cut to the chase. We we bet one twelve. The villain on the button jams his last eight hundred dollars. Um, I mean, we have to call seven hundred more to win twelve hundred. Got top pair. We got top pair. Um, I I think that I remember villain did this instantly. It was very quick jam. Which to me, like the instant jam, I felt like there was some removal there for like Jack eight and Jack nine, like the river two pairs. I I actually thought that queen 10 would probably think about, think about like whether they should jam the sizing they should choose. Um, I could be wrong about that as I've been wrong in other, the other 15 hands that I've played. But again, I I had a plan and yeah, my plan was to bet call. Oh, um, do you have like an expectation of like what sort of bluffs you expect to see here or what hands you expect to beat or you just not even thinking, not even thinking about it? No, I mean, I, I hope that villains turning pairs into bluffs. I mean, like that's, that's the hope, right? Like a nine, yeah. 10, nine, 10 type hand. Yeah. Um, I don't 10, eight, th- 10, eight um, maybe even seven, eight, because I think that like w- the expectation is like when I choose this small sizing that, I have multiple sizings here on the river and I'm likely to choose the larger one with queen 10. So like mm-hmm. I, I was already aware that like when I choose this smaller sizing, like villains, villains going to be tempted to jam. Like I would be tempted. And I think you would be tempted. Yeah. Yeah. And then six, seven, two makes a lot of sense. That's just an seven high open ender on the flop that bricked. Right. right. Somewhat blocks one of the streets, I guess with the seven. Wow. Okay. So um, I guess we've, done a pretty bad job of leaving the spoilers out brad does indeed call the river <laughs> and the villain on the button shows us the six seven of diamonds uh for seven high yeah i mean they had the seven high um initially when i saw their hand i wasn't like thrilled about seeing their hand i mean i won the pot but you know i would, would have been much happier seeing like a nine ten because like if they show me the nine ten then like it's very obvious that they're they're pulling way deep to to bluff here, which makes my call better. But six seven, I'll take it. I'll I'll take the win. Yeah. So basically, like, what you mean by that is like six seven is just like one of the whatever hands that you you're not like surprised to see, and so when you see it, you you know you, you can't get excited from the fact that like oh you made some you know you're you're sort of you're messing him up by like betting small on the river and inducing the raise and then you know calling with jack calling with pop hair, um, which would be the case if he had nine ten, but as you know, it's, we, we can't know for sure when he has a hand like six, seven or about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's really the one I, we, we did run this hand in Pio and, and Pio wanted me to call the river with the queen Jack. Some it actually wanted six, seven to fold the river. So like if we're going into like solver land, we could see that like, villain made the mistake not me but i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know how reliable that uh, is here but I, but yeah i think that like six seven is a natural hand that they have and like when it comes to like strategy construction and figuring out your odds to call the river i mean 
when villain shows an inappropriate hand, it feels way better because then you know that like you're crushing them here. This is a hand that's like, yeah, I mean, a seven high is somewhat expected to be in their range. So yeah, like, kind of just did what he's supposed to do. Yeah. So you know, I'll, I'll take this pot this time, but I, right. I don't know how my strategy performs over you know infinity. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that'll that'll wrap up the you know one of the three hands I've won this year. Bet calling the river, and um, John is going to give you a hand that you know it's a classic tennish gapper hand where uh, he plays a massive pot. Stick around after the break. In a world where a fish dog bets the flop, and you don't know what to do. One man, Coach Brad Wilson, has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle. Rated R. All right, welcome back to Tactical Tuesday. I may have exaggerated a small bit before the break and said that John's hand was a 10 gapper. We used our fingers and almost our toes and realized it is a nine gapper that is not an ace high nine gapper and it's off suit as well. So John, why don't you break down this God awful hand that you end up putting lots of money in? I would never play a 10 gapper if it was off suit, but nine, (laughs) got to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So same game as Brad, 510 the limit online. This hand starts with me in the big blind. Action gets folded around to the small blind, who is a reg. He limps, which is very, very rare. But this guy clearly had a limping strategy from the small blind. This is not the first time he did it. He limp folded sometimes. He'd limp called sometimes. Um, I don't think he had a limp three bit, but uh, he Well, you didn't see someone. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't seen it, yeah. Um, but he, this is clearly someone, this was not just some fish, like, limb calling the small blind. Um, he's playing 22, 2019 over 60 hands. Big wide stack. Seems like someone who knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'm looking at your HUD stats right now for the listener. It looks like you're playing a 14, 10, 0. That's, that's quite the strategy there, John. Yeah, but this is over. Small sample. Also, I, <laughs> I, this, I'm sure I'm, this just looks like I was card dead. 14, 10, 0, 100 big blinds. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's a big card dead. Oh, look, I'm getting dubbed King 3 off, man. What am I, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> so you built up the respect. Let's put all the money in with the King and a 3. Give us the action, uh, John. Break it down. So the small blind limps, I check King 3 offsuit. Um, flop comes King, Queen, Jack. Uh, with two diamonds, uh, the small blind overbets bets $25 into just under 20. I mean, we're already in like a, like lands that I don't know what's going on, starting with like the small blind limp, and things are just getting even weirder on the flop with this overbet. Um, I have hot pair though, so I call. Uh, the turn is a seven of spades. The small blind overbets again. Another small overbet bets 80 into 70. <laughs> my, the extent of my analysis was pretty much like, I don't know what's going on in this spot. I don't love it, but I have a pair of blind versus blind um, in a spot where the small blind should, shouldn't be limping. Like too many pop pairs that are like better than mine. Like I wouldn't expect them to limp hands like, I don't know, king 10 suited, king jack, king queen. I would expect all those hands to 
probably be close to a pure open. Well, maybe like some of the offsuit ones hands, like, I don't know, Monk Arrangers probably have you mixing like half open, half raise, or half limp, half half open. Um, I think I think what's interesting here is villains like, um, I think he's going to, they're getting a little too fancy for their own good here, going with overbet, overbet, because I don't know that they take this line with their straights because we have lots of single pair hands. I mean, when villain goes, uh, one, it's like a, basically a half a big blind overbet on the flop and then a one big blind overbet on the turn. Like, they have multiple sizings there. I think that's that's pretty clear. They're not just doing this with their entire range. So that they have multiple sizings with different portions of their range. And I just have to imagine that like there's a great temptation to not overbet when villains capped at like a lot of one pair type hands when you have straights. Right. That's a good point. Like, you know, we talked about him it being unlikely for him to have two pairs if I have no two pairs on this flop. Like I'm I'm definitely raising every king jack, queen jack, king queen every straight uh, on this flop. So yeah, I am very, very, very capped. Right. And like, this is sort of at the top of your range. And so like, I just, I'm not sure what villain would be targeting with a straight here, right? Like they, they would have to be very, very confident that this 14 slash 10 knit of a human being is like going to call down light with some like middle or top pairs. And I, I just, I just don't see the incentive and so like, yeah, like, like I said, you know, I just think villains just getting a little too fancy here for their own good um, and going super polar in a spot that like they don't really have to, or they're probably not, they're probably not betting the top end of the, their polarized range using the sizing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I wasn't uh, like in game. I can say that I, I definitely was not thinking about it, thinking about this hand in terms of like, oh, like he might not take this um, line with with his straights because I'm capped. I didn't go that far, but it, I definitely did have the uh, kind of the feeling that he was just, this was sort of getting fancy play syndrome into like fancy play syndrome zone where I'm like, really? Like, do you really study like limp pots, blind versus blind, like an overbet overbet strategy on like triple broad? Like, do you actually spend time like working on that? and like looking on that. Like, I, I can't, I can't imagine that, that you do. Um, it, it just, uh, I think there's a Nick Howard interview on Solve for Why in one of the Poker Out Louds where he talked about lunging in spots, like lunging for pots and how that was like a problem that he had. And like as someone who is a lunger over the course of his poker career and has tried to win hands with very inappropriate combos in random situations, I can say that like when you do lunge like that, you just you you over bluff way 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 too much and and like when you're a battler and like you look at one hand as in a binary sense of like if i win this hand then i win and if i lose this hand then i lose you're you just over aggress your strategy falls apart and you just kind of end up looking like an idiot yeah i think um <laughs> i like I think it was Sam Greenwood had like a really good tweet related to that. How he said, like, if you play that style, that like over bluffing, very lunge heavy style, it's like, you will be a favorite to win the pot, but you will not be playing winning poker. Yeah. And, and that's the truth. Right. And that's like, it's just something that I've had to battle 
inside myself over the years. And, and I think it's a very natural human tendency to like, look right. at, look at the pot and be like, well, if I win this hand, if I win the pot, then I won the hand. But like, right. that's not what poker is. Yeah, I agree. So back to the action, King, Queen, Jack, seven. Uh, the small blind has overbet the turn. He bets $80 and 70. I have King three offsuit, no flush draw, no blockers, nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I call the 80, the turn or the river is the king of clubs. So now the board is king, queen, jack, seven, king, the flush straw bricks. There's $230 in the middle, small blind checks. I spent a long time deciding whether to bet. And then I decided that I did want to bet. And then I spent more time deciding, thinking about sizing. It was pretty scary to bet, honestly, just like even to like, I had to think about it facing overbet, overbet on the flop and the turn. Like, is this, am I just crazy for thinking about value betting trips, no kicker versus that range but then hey it's trips um, <laughs> <line versus> wine. <laughs> in the future you will construct better ranges when villain goes over bet over bet and try to you know eliminate some of the nutted hands that you're concerned with right like if you can eliminate you know ace and nine ten even like half the combos i mean then you can see that like there's little threat here Plus, right. like, if, if you eliminate half the combos just based on the sizing villain chose, well, when the king pairs, they're probably betting half of those combos on the river for value themselves and not going for a check raise, right? So, like, right. Then, then we eliminate even more combos of hands that we should be afraid of. Right. For, like, as, like, someone who overbets, like, flop and turn with a straight, I would expect them to overbet them <laughs> over here, too, actually. Like, pretty frequently with a straight, just targeting, trying to get called by a king. Um, my question is, what the hell are you trying to get called by when you when you see bet here or when you value when bet, I bet the, the river? river? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a good question. Um, I thought that his like his overbet range, like him deciding to overbet on the turn, like probably doesn't include very many naked queen x. Like I can't imagine that he's just overbetting second pair or like third pair, like a jack on the turn. Um, I assume those would probably just go into a check call. I don't even know if those overbet the flop. But anyways, I think like a ca category of hand that he would overbet flop and turn with are two pairs that have now been counterfeited on the river and on this like king queen jack two tone flop i thought that he could just easily perceive me to have like tons of bricks draws on this river and like find a hero versus well, not even like a real hero like i'm betting half pot on the river um with like a hand like queen jack or queen seven or jack seven um and hope to just beat my beat enough like 10x diamonds those sorts of hands so that I mean, my... Queen Jack is good, right? Like Queen Jack, I'm with you. Yeah. The Queen Seven and Jack Seven are a little bit dicey because, like, does Villain over bet the flop with Queen Seven or Jack Seven? Yeah. Does he even limp those? I don't know. Right. Like we we don't know for sure. Um, yeah. So I think that like really understanding your plan here. Like, did you have a plan for getting ripped on? Yeah. Actually, this is funny. Like, um, this hand was in a recording, so. You can see like my reaction when it happened. And like I, I bet the river and the small blind jams actually fairly quickly, I, I believe, like in your hand too. It wasn't it wasn't like a tank down jam. And you can like kind of hear in my reaction that I was like ready for or, like I was sort of expecting this. I wasn't that doesn't mean that I was like super excited about calling or like I snapped it off or anything like that. But like I bet the size on the river and any jammed and I was like, yep. I was just kind of like, yep, okay, like this can happen. Um I think I don't know. I I wasn't I was never that scared of this rip, to be honest, because 
he's no longer representing straights once he does this. I don't expect him to show up with a hand like 9-10 or ace-10, although that wouldn't be like totally unreasonable given that I probably don't have any boats. But I just thought that straights would just bet the, bet the river themselves and try to get called more so than go for the check jam. I thought the check jam was going to be uh, a lot of boats that are like kings full that sort of block a lot of my uh, like my river calling range. And then the bluff combos would just be uh, like blockers to underboats. So like queen, queen, some sort of queen X, some sort of jack X, some sort of seven X, maybe. I don't know. Queen jack makes a lot of sense. Like I guess blocking two boats that I don't have because I open all those boats pre or raise all those boats pre-flop. But I don't know, yeah, maybe it goes crazy with those. I think it's like a lot of times in the air ball, to be honest. I mean, so let's really... Really, the thing that you need to bear in mind is that, like, when you bet, you open this door, right? You yeah. reopen the action. And so, like, having a clear plan as to what you do facing a rip before you bet is sort of step one here. Um, and I would say that, like, if villain is a lunger on the flop and the turn, and they're one of those players who are just battling to win the pot, then it's probably not surprising to face the river jam because like this is their nature. Mm -hmm. and, and I would think that like, you know, they could have a sex like ace offsuit, a sex that blocks the blocks, the Broadway. They could have, who knows some, some like nine, nine blocker that blocks uh, or 10 blocker, 10, eight or something that blocks the, uh, the bottom end of the straight. And they could just have like some other arbitrary random hand that they're just taking a bunch of aggressive actions with inappropriately. Yeah. And that is sort of what, uh, it's not totally arbitrary, I guess, but um, I do call the river and the small blind shows seven, eight of clubs. Uh, so he turned a pair of sevens. It's not um, totally arbitrary. How do they find the flop over bet with the seven and the yeah, eight? Yeah, the, fl the flop over bet is arbitrary. But hey, man, he has, a, he has a seven on the river. It's not like he picked like five, six of hearts or something. There's something actually arbitrary. It may as well be arbitrary. I mean, like, what do you okay, do? You're, okay. you're, you're blocking king seven. Whoop de do. Like, that's, <laughs> you think that's going to like really move the needle? Uh, yeah, I think like, yeah, it's just random. Like, it's oh. just like, why, why over bet the turn with your turn? seven why check jam the river it's like they're basically flying by the seat of their pants and doing everything in their power to win the pot sure i mean if you want I, I i'm gonna play devil's advocate and try to be on the small blind side a little bit king seven is the only boat that i should ever have in this spot so maybe it's like a little bit more relevant in the sense that it, it actually just blocks the strongest hand that i probably have unless i'm i, I i'm definitely <laughs> I'm not like checking back King Jack or King Queen on the flop. So you can oh, you can uh, block the King Seven, and, and that's fine. However, like the the way that you got here, and, and the fact that like, <laughs> what are you repping? Yeah, like yeah. build your range here for the check jam. Like, let's make the argument and say, okay, let's let's build this villain's check jam range here, taking this line over bet, over bet, check jam. No. <laughs> it's a bunch of BS, is what it is. Yeah, no, I, I think they're just massively, massively over bluffing, and like the fact that they yeah. have a seven, I think is just. Uh, I don't know if the overbet, overbet check jam alone is would be enough to convince me that this guy is just massively over over bluffing, but the limp preflop plus overbet, overbet check jam really just, I just can't. Well, it's all the data points, you know. Yeah, we, yeah. we don't just like 
value some of them. It's like triple Broadway, limp preflop, overbet, overbet, check jam versus like a villain who's capped at like trips, basically. It, it just all screams like when villain takes this line with all the data points considered that they're just massively over bluffing. Gotcha. That's good to know. Next time I face limp overbet, overbet, check jam. Wow. <laughs> From the small <laughs> blind on a triple Broadway board. Yeah. It's uh, Try to keep this hand in mind. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, when villain um, takes a flop and turn action, I do think it is important to keep in mind uh, like the hands that they're targeting there and do they have the top end of the polarization in their range? Uh, I think that is worthy of consideration in similar spots moving forward, though. Yeah. Got anything else? That's it. That's it. John with his nine gapper offsuit, putting in all the money against a world-class lunger. Uh, that'll wrap up this episode of tactical Tuesday. Thank you as always for your time and your energy listening, and we'll catch you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness. You can subscribe on Apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.